Thank you. Thanks. Right. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thank you all for coming out. I really appreciate it. I know you all came out just because the topic involves sex and violence, and that, that gets you out here uh, to do this. And I think that's why they also call this unplugged, because we're going to be talking about this so they can pull the plug on me if I say any of the bad words uh, uh, that we get into here today. So thank you very much for coming out. I appreciate it. It will be informal. I won't be offended if you grab a bagel uh, and just decide to leave. Uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, that's what free speech is all about, right? You can, you can engage in counter speech uh, uh, all you'd like, and I will take questions. I'll probably talk for about 20 to 25 minutes, talk a little bit about really what is a very controversial area today, and that is the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, which polices the broadcast airwaves uh, and its ability to regulate what we consider to be indecent content. And we'll be talking about what that means. Uh, not obscene content. Obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment. There's a precise legal definition for that. We won't be going that, you know, over that. But if something is obscene, it's not protected by the First Amendment in any situation. Uh, like child pornography, also not protected by the First Amendment. When we're talking about indecency, basically it's not quite as bad as obscenity. Think of it that way. But the FCC still wants to regulate it in some way. And so that's uh, uh, what we're going to be talking about. And then more controversially, uh, in April of this year, the FCC issued a massive report where it now wants to also regulate television violence. It has never previously regulated violent images in the broadcast medium. Think about since uh, uh, the war in Iraq, uh, uh, there have been beheadings, uh, there have been which you could view on the internet uh, that uh, were posted, uh, pictures in the front page of the New York Times early on of bodies of uh, American troops hanging, and contractors, excuse me, hanging from a bridge. You might remember those photographs. Uh, but now we're dealing with the realm of broadcast television and violence and images on that. So we're going to be going over that today. So I appreciate you coming out here. Uh, when we talk about indecency in the broadcast realm, this is the only area of law that has ever been created by a comedian. Uh, uh, and that, of course, is George Carlin. Uh, George Carlin, uh, uh, as you may know, got us started down the path of the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission's ability to regulate the airways for indecent content. In particular, uh, uh, as you may have heard, and some of you might have heard, the seven dirty words monologue that Carlin is... Have you ever heard this? You can admit it. Oh, everybody has. Oh, good. We'll say them all together. No. Uh, so... So, so Carlin basically gave this whole monologue about these seven words, and the whole purpose was, as we know, to kind of show society's squeamishness, that, that they're just words only, and he played word games with them, why should we be so offended by these particular words, and, and he went on and on. And in the middle of the afternoon in New York City, uh, in the case of Pacifica Foundation, which owned the radio station in New York City, as you may know, in the afternoon, they played the seven dirty words monologue. Again, the point of Carlin was to mock and kind of satirize our culture and our squeamishness about certain language. And it's only really words, right? And he would have fun with the words. But nonetheless, driving in New York City, and I think that's the first mistake the father made there, was to try to drive in New York City. <laughs> he was driving in New York City, and his son was with him in the car. And all of a sudden, as we know from, from uh, uh, not today, but as we know from our generation, when you flick on the radio, you turn the, the knob, and you never know what's going to come up on the radio dial. And it really was a dial. Uh, and of course, what pops up in the middle of the afternoon in the car with the kid is the Seven Dirty Words monologue. And the, the father is so upset, uh, uh, he complains to the FCC uh, and says, this is indecent speech. Uh, we should not have this on, at least in the middle of the afternoon, when kids could be possibly in the audience. They should not be exposed to that speech, right? 
goes all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, and in the late 1970s, the Supreme Court rules in favor of the FCC and says that indeed the Federal Communications Commission does have the power to regulate indecent speech uh, on the broadcast, the free over-the-air broadcast airwaves. But not to totally ban it, but it can channel it to certain periods of the day, and I think that's important to kind of note, that between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., an eight-hour window, or if you're from where you're sitting, I guess that would be there and there. Uh, I'd do that the other way. Uh, that is called the safe harbor period. Those eight hours between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. When on the broadcast airwaves, the FCC says it is okay to air indecent content because children are less likely to be in the audience during that particular time period. And adults have a right to receive speech that is not obscene, not child pornographic, not child pornography, but nonetheless may be sexually explicit. Okay. And so that's what launched us down the path. Again, the only area of law created by a comedian, he said, these are the seven dirty words you just, ah, could never say on the public airwaves. And guess what? They said, you're right. And they created <laughs> us down this whole, this whole uh, path that we are on today. Uh, we really are dealing then, and I think why this is kind of controversial and, and interesting, is really with the culture wars, aren't we here? A term is used a lot, but we're certainly dealing with the ability of the government, right, to police our culture in terms of the language that we use, or when it comes to violence on television, the images that we see, and who is to decide what is indecent or what is not indecent. As the United States Supreme Court once said in 1971 in a case called Cohen versus California, one man's vulgarity is another's lyric. Uh, and that's a pretty famous quote, one man's vulgarity is another's lyric. You, you think of it, one person's trash or is another person's art, right? You see an art saying, well, I don't think that looks like junk. Somebody says that. So who is to decide what is indecent? The FCC today uh, currently is that governing authority. And as we go much forward and we think back recent years, we had the Janet Jackson incident at the Super Bowl halftime show, that brief, brief fleeting glimpse of her nipple which was on for less than one second, as we know. It actually, it, was, it, it really was less than one second. CBS actually timed it out for the FCC and said, all this is about this one little incident, and we're all shocked by it. And certainly, children are in the viewing audience at sports. We know kids are going to be there. It was not right to do at that particular time. Well, that, of course, was 2004. That was an election year. That got the FCC fired up as well and got the FCC involved in that. Then we had another situation where Bono, uh, the lead singer for the group U2 uh, was, had won a, an award. U2 had won an award for best original song from a motion picture soundtrack. And at the awards uh, ceremony for this particular award, and this was live on television to the East Coast, in his acceptance speech, he let the F word uh, with an ING on the end of it slip out to describe how really, really effing brilliant it was that they had just won this award. <laughs> now, he wasn't, it was, it was unscripted. NBC had no knowledge he was going to say that, and he wasn't using it in a sexual sense whatsoever, right? He wasn't saying this. Is, he, was, he was using it as a modifier, an intensifier. And that initially was the argument that was made to the FCC, and it would seem like that was the correct decision. Well, the FCC ultimately, after the Super Bowl incident, comes back and says, no, that word has an inherently sexual meaning to it. It's one of the most coarse and vulgar words in our language today. And we have to think about words, and I'm glad I'm talking with you all here today. So when I say Lenny Bruce, you know who he is. Uh, uh, and, and we know that part of Lenny Bruce's routines, uh, and Lenny Bruce, as we know, was prosecuted and convicted of obscenity twice, uh, once in Chicago, Illinois, and once in Greenwich Village uh, for performances in the early 1960s. 
Uh, same type of thing with Lenny Bruce uh, uh, in the language, uh, uh, in our culture, uh, before he became a little bit uh, uh, out of it kind of at the very end. Uh, but certainly, again, he was also prosecuted for obscenity in Los Angeles in that particular case. Uh, and uh, 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 there's an excellent book about uh, uh, Lenny Bruce that came out recently by a couple of authors named Collins and Scover, which is an interesting one. If you buy the book uh, about his life, Lenny Bruce, there's actually a little CD-ROM in there which you can listen to some of his performances that he gave. So uh, uh, again, we can think about how language has always been contested. So we had the Janet Jackson image on television. We have Bono during an acceptance speech using the F word. And we know today that indeed there's a lot of violence as well as in sexually explicit indecent content. So I guess the first thing we have to ask ourselves is if you're the government official, you're the FCC, we're trying to enforce something clearly and consistently as the government should. The government shouldn't have too much discretion and wiggle room so that something may be indecent, something may not be. It should be clear and consistent. The question is, how do you define what is indecent, right? Big problem, a definitional difficulty. How do we define what is or is not indecent? And I suspect that if we went around this room, there'd probably be 20, 25 different definitions. You might find things something indecent, you might not. Somebody in the back might say, maybe it is, maybe it can't tell. And if you were to try to craft a definition of indecency, we can agree it would be pretty hard to do, wouldn't it? How would you define that? And so I want to kind of bring this up to date a little bit, and I'll give you the definition that the FCC has. You're not quizzed on this, right? Uh, uh, but initially, it, it has to deal with one of two things in terms of the topic. And it has to be sexual or excretory functions or activities or organs. So sexual or excretory organs or activities. Sexual or excretory organs or activities. That's what it has to be about. That's the subject matter. So if you think about Don Imus getting in trouble, uh, uh, for the nappy-headed hoe comment that he made, right? We can remember that controversy. That would not fall under the subject matter of the FCC's ability to regulate indecency, right? It has to be sexual or excretory organs or activities, okay? Bono, though, when he used the F word, that is a sexual activity, and the FCC says even though he wasn't using it in that sexual sense, it has an inherently sexual meaning. Just to kind of understand how that plays out. And remember also really the, the situation with IMIS was that was not government censorship whatsoever. That was corporate censorship, right? They decided to fire him after the advertisers, due to political and social pressures, pulled their advertising. So we really don't even have a First Amendment question so much with IMIS, right? So uh, uh, that was all corporate uh, censorship of his speech. So the first thing you have to ask is what is it about? Is it about sexual or excretory organs or activities? And then the second thing that even if it is about that, it doesn't make it indecent necessarily. We have to ask ourselves then, is it patently or patently offensive for contemporary standards of the broadcast medium? Now that doesn't tell us much. Is it patently offensive? What does offensive mean, right? But that's the definition the FCC has. Patently offensive as contemporary standards for the broadcast medium. And that is a nationwide broadcast community. It's not Center County. It's not the state of Pennsylvania. It's the national community, meaning the broadcast community. And so then we get... That's very difficult to understand. The FCC has given us a couple of factors, though, to look at in terms of what it means by offensive. One, it asks, is how explicit and graphic is it? Is it very explicit? Is it very graphic? The more explicit and the more graphic it is, either the image on television or the words that were used, the more likely we are to say it is patently offensive, right? A second factor they look at is, is it repeated and dwelled upon, or is it brief or fleeting? Now that factor is something that is discussed, uh, as I note, in the one handout that you have. 
starting with actually the Bono case and several other instances later on, the FCC decided, after many years of non-enforcement, that it would go after unintentional, brief, and fleeting, and isolated expletives, like Bono's during that. The situation you can all think of is when you watch sports on television. How many times have you heard the parabolic microphone pick up a bad word used by a player or a coach on the sideline? Or maybe the fans are chanting, on the, right? But if a player says something, it's spontaneous, it's not intentional in terms of the broadcast networks, right? The FCC then decided it was going to crack down on that. From what you can see in this article that I wrote this summer for the Center Daily Times, it says last week's federal appellate court decision rebuking the FCC's policy of fining TV stations for broadcasting fleeting, unscripted expletives is, indicatives, is indicative of the problems facing a government agency that increasingly finds itself smack in the middle of this country's escalating culture wars. So basically the bottom line then is it can't say, oh, well, it doesn't protect you necessarily that it's fleeting or isolated. And on the other hand, the FCC necessarily can't go after. So we really don't know basically what to do with that factor anymore, right? Because the court is saying, well, hey, you know, isolated and fleeting, FCC, cut them some slack. They don't know it's necessarily going to go on. So we already said how graphic and explicit is it. The last factor then they, that, that the FCC considers is, is the material designed to shock, pander, or to titillate the audience. What's its purpose? Is it designed to shock, pander, or titillate the audience? And that clearly was the Janet Jackson situation, right? In fact, that happens at the moment when Justin Timberlake says, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song. And as soon as he says that, there it happens, right? That's when it, and that was designed shock, pander, and tilly, right? Or on the other hand, what the FCC will ask is there's some kind of social, scientific, or artistic value to it. So the bottom line is context is key. How is it used? I gave my students in my honors section an exam two weeks ago, and the hypothetical was, and it was purely hypothetical, and you can think about it and uh, unfortunately, most of them failed to capture the specific context in which it was used. I have a certain presidential candidate uh, going, uh, and she's about to uh, uh, give a speech, and she doesn't know that the microphone is on, so she has not begun her formal talks. And she uh, makes some derogatory comments about Obama uh, during this period uh, that the microphone happens to pick up. Uh, uses a few expletives along the way, not racism or anything like that, but gets into some of the sexual words to describe him. And she says, essentially, the gist would be in nice language that if he, stops go if he doesn't stop going after my husband's marital infidelities, we're going to have to take some action against that so-and-so and goes on and on. Uh, uh, she then realizes, in my hypothetical, her aide says, the microphone is on, to which she <laughs> utters another expletive about an excretory function. She says, oh, blank. And then that's also picked up, and then she doesn't talk anymore. NBC says, great story. Let's air this story on our newscast, right? Has a bunch of experts. And then she says, uh, uh, the rest of that was she says, oh, blank, right? And she says, that's going to hurt at the polls, right? And then they, so NBC, sure enough, airs that. Uh, and again, it's not in the safe harbor zone. It's aired at 6.30 on the evening news, right? So it's not protected. It's not between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. They have experts. I love that term in academia. Everybody's an expert, right? We have Brittany experts today to talk about her stuff, right? <laughs> they have experts then talk about how this may or may not hurt her campaign. And my question was, is this indecent or is it not? 
Certainly the subject matter would have been in terms of the words, I believe she used the, the F word, she used, she said shit, she used a couple of other words. Well, that'll go out on the podcast, that's nice. Uh, she, said it, she said something else. So certainly I had it falling within that. But then what I really wanted the students to get at was, was this really designed to shock, pander, or to titillate, right? And no, it wasn't. In fact, if anything, it's the height of political speech. Because her one line is, she says, oh shit, that will hurt at the polls. She's admitting the political implications of what she's saying, right? Was it brief or fleeting? As I made clear in my hypothetical fact pattern, they aired it one time on the evening news. That's it. They had experts talking about it, but they weren't using the language. I had a student then say those three sentences, timed it out to under 15 seconds, right? Now, unfortunately, only two of the 13 students focused on the political impact of that. But essentially, I would say probably the FCC would let that go, right? They would let that go. So we can't say that everything falls within that. So that is a problem right now, the definition of what is indecent. It can be enforced unfairly. It's inconsistent. The FCC has tried to crack down starting in 2004. The, the uh, commissioner of the FCC at the time was Michael Powell, Colin Powell's son. He was the uh, uh, chairman of the FCC at the time. Today it's a man named Kevin Martin, uh, who holds a degree from Duke and a degree from North Carolina. I don't know how he manages to keep them separate in his mind. It would seem to me to give him cognitive dissonance. Uh, uh, but, but he manages to keep those two degrees separate. Uh, but so Cole, uh, Michael Powell, uh, Colin Powell's son, kind of ratcheted up. Uh, uh, under President Bush and kind of a more conservative uh, regime as president. And that's important to note. There are five commissioners on the FCC, of which only three can be from one particular party. So you can't stack it 5-0, all Democrats, all Republicans, whatever party is in control. Only three can be from one party. But that does mean then, because the president gets to, to appoint the commissioners, right, that right now we have three Republicans and two Democrats. So were that to change in 2008, it would, it would flip over probably to three to two if a Democrat were elected. So January 2009, we would see that change. But I would argue to you that this is one area on which politicians of both Democrats and Republicans, though, uh, uh, would say, oh, we come out and we support your right to use indecent language. I'm never going to hear that from a politician, right? No politician is ever going to come out and say, I support your right to view pornography, right? No, in other words, this is one issue on which Democrats and Republicans can be family friendly, right? Not, not one is going to come out and say, I believe you should be able to use the F word during your speech. I believe television should have this, right? So even if we get a change on this particular issue, I don't think it will make much of a difference. Where it will probably make a difference is on something else which is discussed in here, which is the ownership rules that the FCC enforces in terms of who can own what in the broadcast realm and whether we can have cross ownership of a newspaper and television stations and radio stations in the same city. And that's where it will make a difference because under uh, the Republicans on the commission are much more laissez-faire, deregulatory, own as much as you want. Uh, the public interest is whatever the public is interested in and that's the magic word for the, the FCC. The FCC is supposed to enforce rules in the public interest. And so the Republican side would say the public interest is whatever the public is interested in. Whatever marketplace forces dictate, if we want 10 all-talk stations in town and no jazz, and the jazz can't be supported by marketplace forces, too bad, so sad for that format, that's what people are interested in, the other stations, the talk stations, right? 
On the other hand, then, if we flip it around with the ownership issues, the Democrats would change the other way and say, we should tighten the reins on ownership. There should be caps. There should be more caps than we have now. Currently, just so you understand this, currently uh, uh, one single corporation, one entity, can reach up under the FCC's uh, mandate up to 39% of the national audience with the stations that it owns. There is no numerical quantity on the number of television stations nationally, in other words, that a single entity could own, like if it were News Corp or Rupert Murdoch or any major uh, 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 owner of broadcast television stations. They can own an unlimited number of television stations up to the point, however, where the audience reach is 39% of the national television viewing household. You say to yourself, 39%? You know, well, why not 37 and a half? Why not 41? How did we get there? Well, at one point, the FCC had it was 35%. And then when a couple of mergers involving News Corp and some other corporations went through, they just magically happened to hit a percent. Is 39% is what we can reach. Then after some serious lobbying efforts and negotiations, they said, hmm, 39% sounds like a pretty good limit. So they allowed those mergers to go through, capped it at 39%, and that's essentially how we got there. Now let me shift back to the other topic. We've talked about the sex side of the discussion, and I want to move on a little bit to the television violence side, mediated violence. Well, let me go back to actually talk about one more thing on indecency while I well, I was thinking about it. I said that the FCC polices the broadcast airwaves, the broadcast airwaves. And that's important to understand that we don't have the FCC for the print medium, right? We don't have an FCC regulating the Center Daily Times or USA Today or New York Times. We don't have that. The other thing to understand is the FCC does not regulate content, does not regulate content on satellite radio. So that is Sirius and XM, the satellite radio stations. Or think of it, some people like to say cable radio, but the satellite radio. It does not regulate the content on those, so the indecency rules do not apply. That is why, as we, you know from a couple years ago, the controversial shock jock Howard Stern left, right? Because the FCC kept fining Stern and Infinity, which was the company at the time that syndicated the Stern show, right? So actually Infinity paid out the money, not Stern personally. And then Stern says, I've had enough after the Super Bowl halftime incident when the FCC started going nuts on these issues and said, I'm leaving the realm and I'm going over to satellite, right? And for $500 million, who wouldn't go, right? $500 million, that's not bad. And, and, and now, as you may know, it's a satellite is a two-company uh, uh, medium right now, and they want to merge, right? The two do. And the FCC actually has some issues on this, because that's antitrust. If we allow them to merge in satellite, and we have Sirius and XM coming together, then that would also raise questions for the Justice Department. And indeed, they have submitted materials to the Justice Department whether or not we should allow the merger so that we only really have one company in satellite radio, right? Satellite was going to be this, this big, huge thing. So I wanted just to note that. So that's how, if you're, on, if you're on cable, same thing for television. Cable is not subject to the indecency standards. So if you have a home box office, HBO, or Showtime or something like that. We know we can see more skin, we can hear more language. Cable is not subject to those same types of rules. Bless you. So, so, so now let me get into the topic of television violence. And some of you have, and I have one more copy here, and maybe we can have some more made. I only brought about 20 of this one. Uh, this was a piece from the Harrisburg Patriot News uh, uh, that a colleague of mine, uh, Professor Robert D. Bob Richards, in the College of Communications, and I authored for the Harrisburg Patriot News. This appeared in the Sunday, April 29 issue. Uh, the FCC television violence questionable combination. 
Uh, and this deals with the FCC's efforts now to try to get into the topic of television violence and in particular it wants to regulate violent images on television. And we know that there certainly are a lot of violent images on television. Whether it's real life images on the television news, whether it's cartoons that we might see, fictional violence, or violence in Jack Bauer in the show 24, right? Or any other police show that you might watch, right? There is violence and violence on television, but there's violence everywhere, isn't there today, right? We can watch violence on the internet, we hear violent lyrics and songs sometimes. Uh, uh, we have violence on the schoolyard in real life, violence and crime in real things, right, to deal with as well. Violence in the war in Iraq. We see real life images of violence coming back, right? So now the FCC decides that it wants to get into this area and to finally regulate images of violence. Remember, indecency only applied to sexual and excretory organs and activities. So violence is technically not indecent. I mean, violence is indecent, but not under the definitions that we have, right? Our society, as we know in the United States, we've already separated out sex and violence, right? right? When it comes to violence images, we've always been very permissive and allowed those, right? Sexual, we're pretty squeamish about it. We don't allow that. Now we're getting to the idea of the FCC wants to step in, which raises initially the big, huge problem. How do you define violence, right? Who is going to be, and how do we define that? The FCC in April, shortly uh, at the time actually, at the very time we're writing this, issues its massive report, and that's why we wrote this piece, saying that it wants to regulate, quote, excessively violent programs. Now, modifying violent, right, with excessively violent programming, I don't think gets you too far. How many of you have seen the, the movie A Few Good Men? Anybody seen A Few Good Men? Okay. It reminds me of the scene where Demi Moore's character is overruled, and she makes her objection. Demi Moore objects, and she's overruled, and she says, no, I strenuously object, right? And, the, oh, and Kevin Pollack gives her trouble, and she says, oh, that makes all the difference. I object, no, overruled. I strenuously object. Oh, yes, yes, well, now I'm going to reconsider it, right? Oh, it's violent programming. Oh, it's excessively violent. Well, now that makes all the difference. So how do we define violence is going to be problematic here for the FCC. The FCC, in its report, did not offer up a definition. It basically punted and said to Congress, give us the statutory authority to regulate excessively violent programming, allow us to do that, and you create that definition, right? And you can imagine how great it would be to have all the congressmen and women create a definition of violence that they can all agree on and that the court would say is constitutional. And so that's another issue uh, I want to focus on briefly, is under the law in First Amendment, uh, because we're dealing with speech products, right? As long as they're not obscene or child pornography, they receive First Amendment protection, right? Because we're only dealing with indecency, not as bad as obscenity, right? And, and violent images. The Supreme Court has never defined violence as it has obscenity. It has given us a definition of obscenity. It has not given us a definition of violence. Okay. And under the First Amendment protection of speech, there's a doctrine, a due process doctrine actually, called void for vagueness void for vagueness, which says that we can declare a law unconstitutional. In other words, we can declare it void because it is so vague as it's defined that a person of reasonable and ordinary intelligence looking at the face of the, of the definition, the face of the law, would not know what speech is allowed and what speech is prohibited. That's the rule of void for vagueness. Would a person of reasonable and ordinary intelligence looking at the law looking at the term, the face of the document, know what speech is allowed and what speech is prohibited. If you're forced to guess at its meaning, right, 
the law will be struck down as unconstitutional. And that makes sense because if it's vague, it allows for unfair and unequal enforcement, right? It gives so much discretion or wiggle room to the government or the enforcing authority, right? It's like loitering laws were used in the 1960s, right, to suppress different civil rights movements and protests because what did it mean to loiter? If I'm standing on a corner, not in Winslow, Arizona, that's where my mind was going with the Eagles song there, but uh, if I'm standing, see, some of you, if I'm standing, right, uh, with a bunch of friends, right, somewhere, am I loitering? What does that mean, right? We've got to define it pretty precisely. Uh, so if we don't know what violence is, I would love to see the definition uh, uh, as it comes down. Uh, uh, they have not yet done this. Senator Jay Rockefeller from West Virginia uh, is uh, one of the leading proponents, actually. Again, a Democrat stepping in here saying that we should regulate images of violence on television, right? So this is one of those issues, like I said, where both Democrats and Republicans want to be parent-friendly. They want to step in, right? Uh, uh, he will be probably, I suspect, later on proposing uh, 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 a bill uh, which would attempt in get to give the power to the FCC to regulate violent images on television. Now, that might be channeling it into certain time periods. There might create news exemptions. But I would argue which is more harmful to a kid watching cartoon violence or watching real life death and violence from the war in Iraq. I, you know, why, how are you going to exempt one out and not the other, right? Uh, the other problem would be even if you regulate violent images on television, right? And, and by the way, the FCC wants to expand that not just to free over the air broadcast television, but to cable and satellite, okay? Cable and satellite, they want to expand that out all the way to police all of the airwaves, policing the airwaves, right? Even if you could pre prevent violence in those media, right? What about, again, as I said, violence in real movies that you go to see in a movie theater, right? Violence that you could watch on the internet. Violence in musical lyrics, right? There was recently a bill that was proposed by a representative from North Carolina. I believe his name is Schuler, uh, uh, And he proposed a bill that would prohibit any movie rated PG-13 or worse from being shown on airplanes. He would require child safe viewing areas on airplanes. Now, if you're the airline industry, <laughs> okay, first of all, you won't have real clear nudity in these. They edit them out. Now, they, are, they can be graphic, right? But imagine you're a business person and you say, okay, we're going to create 10 rows of child safe viewing areas on airplanes, right? You're not going to do that. You're going to turn the whole plane into a child-safe viewing area, aren't you? It's the easiest way to deal with it, right? And so sometimes, I think what I'm suggesting here is this, that we police things to protect kids and minors, but they often have unintended consequences on adults' rights to view content as well. And they sound good. We can go after media, specific medium, but it'll pop up on another medium, right? We police it here, it'll pop up over there. The iPod, right? Today, it's possible to download sexually explicit adult pornography onto an iPod. Now, frankly, I think you've got to be pretty desperate uh, 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 you know, to want to see that content on an iPod, right? But you can. And so you know, it's playing like at arcade games. If you've ever gone to an arcade and they have that game called Whack-A-Mole, which there's a tabletop, and these moles' heads pop up from under, and you've got a big mallet. And the moles randomly pop up from the table, right? And the object of the game is to beat the mole back down in, right? Well, that's what it's like today 
in our world of digital media and convergence of media. We, if we police one medium and it pops up on television, we bang violence down there, right? Now it's going to pop up on the iPod, right? Or another technology on the internet. We try to bang it down there. And just as it does there, then it's going to crop up in music. And then we've got to suppress it there. It's a never-ending game, right, in terms of, 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 of trying to deal with these issues. So now we have the big picture, and I've said this, policing uh, 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 the airwaves for sex and violence. And you can kind of see the problems that the FCC gets into. As I've suggested in the op-ed that ran in the Center Daily Times, I think the FCC has a lot on its hands right now. It has a case actually going uh, in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals in Philadelphia, which oral argument was heard in September. Uh, actually, on September 11 is when oral argument was heard in that case. Another instance of broadcast fleeting expletives that was used uh, one was by Nicole Ritchie, everyone's favorite you know, reality TV show and famous for being famous kind of person, right? And apparently when she wasn't in rehab, uh, she, she said something during uh, uh, an award show that got her into trouble. The FCC in that case is really up against the wall in terms of are, is its definition of indecency clear, okay? The Supreme Court has not taken a case since that George Carlin case back in the 70s on indecency. So to kind of bring this full circle again, it's an area of law created by a comedian, right? The situation though, however, is not too funny today if you're a broadcaster because you don't know what is or is not indecent. Do you risk it or not? And when we have a vague law and we don't know whether we're right or wrong, what's the result? A chilling effect on speech. Rather than risk putting the material out there, and it may turn out the material isn't indecent. It may turn out the FCC would say the material's okay. You play it safe, right? That's what we call a chilling effect on speech. So you have a program. It's got some content in it. It's a little bit racy. It may or may not be indecent. Ultimately, the FCC may say it's not indecent at all. But you don't want to risk tons of fines. You don't want to risk that liability. And so rather than airing the program, you just forget about it altogether. That's a chilling effect. And, or self-censorship, right? You censor your own speech, the broadcasters do, to avoid potential liability. And on the last note on this, the liability today is high. In early 2006, the maximum fine that a station would pay out for a single instance of indecency was $32,500. $32,500. That is the fine that the actual affiliate, the local television station, would pay, right? In the aggregate, then, you, you wrap that up, and the initial fine for the CBS affiliates with the Super Bowl halftime show was $550,000, more than half a million dollars. You sweep up all of those. But in 2006, an election year, uh, uh, the FCC, excuse me, the FCC, Congress gets together, and it decides it will give the FCC the ability to impose larger fines. And so to make it easy on itself, it said, let's multiply that times 10. And so now the maximum fine is $325,000 that a television station, not CBS, the affiliate, in other words, would have to pay out for a single instance of broadcast indecency. And now you know why they wanted to fight the fleeting, isolated use of an expletive cases so badly. Because they can't control what goes on on the sports sidelines. They don't know when Bono gets up there to make an acceptance speech, what he's going to say. Or Nicole Ritchie, that was her problem as well. And the other case involved Cher. Uh, she, made a, a, she let loose with a fleeting... She 
basically it was, she said, people have been telling me I've been washed up for years, uh, and here I am, I just won an award, so blank them, you know. And she, <laughs> said, and she said that, right, as only Cher could probably say that, right. Uh, so, uh, and then that was fleeting, isolated. And that is what the Third Circuit is litigating. The ownership rules, by the way, the FCC, as I talk about in here, tried to loosen up the ownership rules under Michael Powell as its chairman. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals in Philadelphia said, no, you haven't justified these rules. You do have the ability to regulate ownership and to change the rules on who can own what and how much in the broadcast realm. But you haven't offered any reasons why you picked these particular percentages and these particular numbers. Go back and justify it. And then now, all of a sudden, it wants to get into television violence. So it's fighting ownership issues, violence, and indecency. And that's how we've gotten into the culture wars uh, uh, with the FCC. There are no easy answers here to these questions. Uh, that's why I think it makes for a fun discussion. You all have different viewpoints. You can disagree. You can agree with the FCC. Uh, uh, you can agree, disagree with me uh, on these issues. We're probably never going to easily resolve them. I will say this, that I think it's much easier for politicians to play the media blame game and to blame the media for real-life violence uh, and to blame the media for real-life problems in society than it is to actually deal with real-life violence itself, right? We can go back and we can think about the tragedy at Columbine High School in April of 1999, right? Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. But what was blamed for that tragedy? The music of Marilyn Manson, the video game Doom, the movie The Basketball Diaries, the media blame game. Not the parents' fault, not the kids' fault, but clearly it was the music, it was the movie, it was the video game. And I always ask my students in my large class, I teach a class of teach an honor section where they had the hypothetical of about 13 to 15 students and a regular section of 100 and uh, 50 students. And I ask them always, how many of you have played, and I name a couple of the violent video games, Grand Theft Auto, you know, have you played that game? Yes. M most of them, ha not most, but I would say 70% of them have played that game. I guess that is most. Then I always ask them, how many of you have killed someone? Uh, and fortunately, none of them have, right? Uh, and you think about this, you know, if we did the figures on this, what we're really saying is many, many people can separate out in their minds, I'm playing a video game from the real life actions. And I would argue that the people who commit these violent acts have problems that run far deeper and are far greater than any video game or any image on television or any bad word could ever be policed. We've come a long way from Lenny Bruce when his material was, was very controversial. Today, if you hear Lenny Bruce, uh, 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 my students would probably fall asleep listening to it and they would say, I don't get it, right? That doesn't seem to be very much anymore. Comedians work blue all the time. So when we use the term contemporary standards for the broadcast medium, that shifts too, right? What might not have been good 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, might be okay today. So that is the discussion. I will throw it over to you if you have uh, questions, comments, uh, queries, any remarks. Howard Stern, you brought him up. When he was on terrestrial radio, guess what? He was fined millions of dollars. Not him personally, but his right. affiliate. And, you know, um, uh, they did a survey on him. 30%, and I don't like statistics, so I don't usually get them correct exactly. <laughs> However, it was a, 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 a definite this, right. you know, parallel, where 30% of them liked him and 
listened to him and loved him and 70% hated him, couldn't stand him and listened to him anyway. two and a half hours longer than the ones who liked him because they wanted to see what he said next. If, if I can raise one, if I can, yeah, if I can raise one point on that, that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. In our, in our system today, as we typically have it, it is a market-based system for the media today, largely. If you don't like something, turn it off. You don't have to listen to it. Don't buy, don't buy the CD. Uh, there is a, a group uh, uh, called the Parents Television Council, the PTC, the Parents Television Council. If you, if you, I think it's, uh, yeah, the Parents Television Council is the name of the organization. Uh, and uh, it, is, it monitors shows. It has a number of its uh, members. Uh, and what the members of the PTC do, the Parents Television Council, they watch television shows almost exactly like you were saying. And what they do is they look for the bad words, the bad language, and then they file complaints. And due to the internet, from the Parents Television Council website, you can actually file your complaint directly online. And as it turns out, a Freedom of Information Act request that was filed uh, uh, revealed that about 98% of the complaints that the FCC receives comes from the Parents Television Council and its members or from its website. And so while there was a huge increase after the Janet Jackson situation, right, and people were upset, the vast and overwhelming majority of the complaints filed with the FCC came out of one organization, which shows that if you are a well-organized, you know, group, you can have a large voice in the marketplace of ideas and influence government policy. Because essentially if you go visit, visit the Parents Television Council website, they rate programs, they give their views, what's child-friendly, and that's a good idea. Rating's fine. You're not censoring anybody's speech. Label it. Label it. That's fine. Nobody's objecting to that, right? And go to their website if you want to read about it. That's fine. Parents have that responsibility, right? Then the question comes in when all of the complaints, or not all, but a large number of them, are coming from one organization, you know, and the rest of the public seems to be, I'll turn it off or this. I think your comment is really astute. How much more time we beat that into the ground, right? Uh, uh, you know, going to the internet, watching it over and over. And in today's 24-7 news cycle, the cablers, you know, they, they ate it up, right? Oh, it's great. Let's talk about Janet Jackson, just like Brittany or Lindsay or, or anybody else. Yes? Uh, I, I maintain there is a cultural war going in the midst, going on in the middle. And Mr. Paulson last night referred to the chilling effect of uh, not uh, the poll that indicated the majority of people think it's wrong to say anything that offends anyone. That was a fact. Ken Paulson last night, the editor-in-chief of uh, USA Today, you're talking about his talk, and he gave that, that, that figure, that we've become such a culture where we fear, as you said, offending anyone. And most people, 40%, was that the figure he said? Yeah, yeah. yeah, up to over half, I think, on one believe that you shouldn't offend anyone with your speech. And, and, and he gave a great example of how Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech was offensive to the people in the South at the time who were in power, right? And we've always, so we're trying to balance what's offensive, and we use that term, what's offensive, that's a vague term, right? I say things in class that offend people on a day, I give them a bad grade, they're offended by it, right? You know, so, so how do we define what is or is not offensive? We're trying to balance freedom of speech, and a lot of this turns out to be more it's more ethical, more social responsibility. You can say things under the First Amendment. You should be able to say things under the First Amendment, but you're, you should probably know better from your manners when to say them or when not to. You know, the government, not following. But a great, it was a, it was a good talk. He, he started all the way through, right, and went through the whole deal. Yes? Uh, I just, I'm a little foggy on um, what cable TV is when it comes to just the basic channels on TV. I know there's like, you know, the 
the pay TV kind, you have to get the box for or whatever. Right. But when it comes to the channels from like channel two, channel thirteen, that's one set that anybody can get. But nowadays, like, but what do you call the channels from fourteen on up to infinity? Well, the the, the real difference is this, and Victoria used the term terrestrial. I think you used the term terrestrial free over the air broadcasting. Uh, those are the ones that can be regulated by the FCC. That would be ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, the CW, right? Fox. Nope, those are all cable. They're all cable. And see, they're, they're commercials on. That's right. Cable all has commercial, and cable is not subject to those same rules. Right, because they know that they're going to go on a particular package. And if I want to get on basic cable, I'm not going to have hardcore content. It's a business. Yeah, so it's a business decision. It's almost like flying U.S. Air and buying your cable packages. Are you silver preferred, chairman's, gold, platinum, whatever, you know? And you're going to pay more for whatever it is as you get on your cable package. But that's basically there. That's a good question. Uh, my students today, and this is interesting, and I'm glad we have this audience here to, to understand this. I say to them, how many of you at home have cable television at home? And, you know, 80% do. I say, how many of you out of 150 students? How many of you then have a satellite? How many of you have a dish or something? Rest, raise your hand. And I say, now, how many of you at home have neither cable nor satellite and simply get your television over the airwaves free of charge? It is literally less than 5% in the class. And so students today don't make the distinction between free over the air broadcast and cable because they've always had, always had cable and they don't, or satellite, but more likely cable. And so they don't distinguish. And so your point is very well taken. And indeed, actually, this is an interesting argument. The broadcasters have argued equal protection clause. Why should we be subject to indecency regulations when cable is not? That seems unfair, doesn't it? And so the broadcasters are not only attacking it for the vagueness issues, you know, and if it's a fleeting isolated expletive and that's allegedly caused harm, the kid's going to hear that on the playground at school sometime or his parents or somebody else are going to slip it out. He's going to hear that. How do we power out that harm? But they're also arguing equal protection. Treat us like everybody else. This is not the 1970s now, right? Almost everybody has cable or satellite, and yet cable and satellite can say what they want, and we can't, and that's not fair. And that's kind of how they're going, and that's an equal protection-based argument. So... Uh, it's another thing there that ties in. Other questions, comments? Yes? Uh, as you pointed, like with the words that, that are patently offensive. Right. Uh, we about the F word is in certain contexts. So as I said, if in the Hillary context I gave, they might deal with sexual and executory matter, but I don't believe the FCC is going to find them patently offensive because they show a can it might, it's again, it's hypothetical. They showed, you know, the true nature of somebody off message, unscripted, you know, that type of a situation. But, see them saying at some point that if you say a term like if you're saying effing right. the F word, people know what you're talking about. Yes. It's not using the word. So do you foresee them at some point saying, well, even using that could be... Well, they could go that, they could go that far. As we know now, on the radio, they make what they call radio edit versions of songs. The artist records two different versions of a song, right? And sometimes in the radio edit version, they actually bleep out the word or the artist, the singer, changes the word, right? And so they do this intentionally. Your point is, is very well taken about when they bleep it out, and it always cracks me up because you can always understand what they're saying anyway, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I really couldn't figure out what they said because you left the F in 
at the start and the K at the end. And, and I don't know what was going on. And, and, and then I always, and, and I write this in a, a recent paper, I actually just finishing writing off, as I said, so there's a song out by this woman singer. I've got this, I've got a couple minutes left. Uh, Avril Lavigne from Canada. And, uh, and she has, and she's very popular with teen girls and young kids. And, and uh, she, ha she says, mother effing in this song, that she's the mother effing princess in this song. And, and that's basically what the uh, uh, radio version has. They don't say the word, right? Now, if I'm a teenage girl, you know, uh, and let's say I really couldn't figure it out what I would do. <laughs> so I tried this. I went to Google. And I typed in the name of the song, and I typed in Avril Lavigne. And I'll pop the lyrics to the song, the unedited lyrics to the song, right? And I can get that. And then I can go to iTunes, and I want to purchase the song. And guess what? If I'm a teen, I can purchase it. It'll say, parental advisory explicit lyrics, but I can purchase that song. So even if, you know, I'm agreeing with your point, basically, even if the FCC went after that, you know, Kids are smart, they're technology savvy. I can look up with the line, well, oh, what was she saying there? There it is, right? And then I can, I can uh, go and I can buy the song and download it completely unedited and put it on my iPod from iTunes, right? Because uh, even though it says explicit, I don't have to do that. There is a radio edit version of that song that is played in some markets as well, which substitutes in a completely different word. Uh, and that's an example of what artists uh, basically are doing today. Other questions in the back? You suggested that this is kind of a nonpartisan concern that would be very similar no matter which party was in Largely. the FCC. And it just seems to me very political in that it, it seems like a smokescreen to focus the culture on these uh, levels of concerns of who says the S word or the F word and in what context. And, uh, you know, I think that it gets people's focus off the bigger issues. I know that I can't be the only parent who would rather see my kids grow up in a country where they can hear an F word and see someone's flash of a nipple, but they have health care and we're not at war and we're not spending oh, exactly. dollars. And, you know, those seem like the real obscene, <coughs> indecent acts. Yes, ex exactly. So where are our priorities? And, you know, I just wonder who, besides the comedians, who today, you know, Bill Maher and Stephen Colbert and right. people of that are still the only people who are, seem to me to be really pointing out the, the, the terrible hypocrisy. Oh, sure. So who in politics is, is actually um, you know, uh, standing up around these issues? And, and maybe can you give us some hope that it would change? Well, you know, yeah, really. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, you know, as I said, it, it clearly is political. These are the culture wars. It's political. They take our minds off it. If Rush Limbaugh makes a comment about phony soldiers, the Democrats want to go after him. If the New York Times runs a moveon.org uh, ad, right, the Republicans want to go after them, right? We divert attention from the underlying problems in society. I totally agree. I'm just saying that I think it's a nonpartisan issue on wanting to be parent friendly, right? On wanting to say we're taking a stand here against something. And it's a surrogate. It is a smokescreen, right? It's so much easier to go after media violence and media images and media language than to address the underlying problems in real world issues. It's much more interesting to talk about Britney Spears or Lindsay Lohan for some people than it is to deal with real life. If some girl goes missing, I hate the term went missing. How about disappeared uh, uh, would be nice uh, sometimes, right? Somebody disappeared. No, it went missing. I, you know, 
you know, then we're going to focus all our attention on that one girl, and the media is going to go nuts when kids every day something bad can happen to them in a city, and we don't pay any attention to it, right? We focus on these few issues. I, I totally agree. In terms of, of hope for this, I really don't see it because Hillary Clinton has proposed the CAMERA Act. Uh, it's something like children. It, first of all, you always got to have the acronym first. Uh, it, it, it's something like Children and Media Research Advancement Act, CAMERA. Children and Media Research Advancement Act. And, what, what, and this is bipartisan because before he got voted out, you're talking about making strange bedfellows on the previous version of this. Rick Santorum and Hillary Clinton were co-sponsoring <laughs> the CAMERA Act. And what the CAMERA Act would do was the CAMERA Act would have our federal government give a lot of money to social scientists at research universities so they could study the negative effects of viewing violent video games or viewing violent television so that ultimately somewhere they could show causation of real harm and then we could justify it. And literally the camera act, we're in a, we're going, we're 2008's coming up, we're moving into the election year, right? I would say these issues are going to come to the forefront again. And again, that's an issue where you have Bi Jay Rockefeller, Democrat, he's the one wanting to go after television violence. And so I just believe, it's certainly political, you're right, it's bipartisan on this, right? It's like you know, as, as somebody told us in Los Angeles last summer when I was doing research, you're never going to find a politician, you're never going to find a bumper sticker that says this on it. Uh, it says, uh, I, I vote and I watch porn. Uh, you're, 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 you're never going to see somebody saying that on their bumper sticker. They're never going to say that. Even though we know it's a $12.9 billion industry and somebody's watching it and somebody's voting for it. So I would uh, leave you... Uh, one more? Any? Yes, please. At what point do parents be responsible for what their children are seeing? And you know, maybe take responsibility and say, "Hey, maybe my kids wouldn't be sitting at home watching all this filth on TV." I think they, they actually got home from work at least an hour and then spent. That's exactly right. And you know what? The parents should. The V chip has been in television sets now, manufactured since 2000, right? The V chip works in conjunction with the ratings that they put on those shows. They label them. The fact is, parents don't use it. I doubt many people in this room have ever used the V-chip to try to screen anything out. It is thoroughly underused technology. Technology really provides the solution here, doesn't it? If you want to use it, you can. Now, maybe it's imperfect and you don't like the ratings definitions, but certainly parents have the responsibility. And even if you're not home then, you can program it, essentially. And you can do the same thing on video games now today, violent video games. The consoles that are made by the big companies, right? They have essentially the equivalent of a V-chip in them. The video game industry voluntarily rates every video game. Mature, right? Uh, 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 there's, M, there's AO for adults only. There are very few of those games ever produced. T for teen, right? E for everyone. And essentially the new consoles that are being made, these parents have the ability to do the same thing. If the kid puts in the video game with that rating on it, you don't want to play it, it would block it off. So technology is there. Things are voluntarily rated. They're voluntarily labeled, right? I think I'd rather have the parents and voluntary people, you know, not the government telling me and defining what is violent and what's not violent or what's indecent and not and telling me that I can or cannot watch it. So I think it's a great point about taking responsibility. I think we've got to, I think we've got to wrap up. I think so. Uh, if you would please join me in thanking Albert for Thanks. coming today. Thank you, Emily. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thanks.